I'll get in trouble for this, I'm certain. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Saturday Six Podcast. It is episode 16, I believe. Um, I'm here with my brother, Tyler. I am AJ, if you don't know the voices already. Want to start off um, by just saying what's up, man. Catch us up on uh, how your week's been. Good. Celebrating uh, SEC championship yeah uh going on here for our georgia bulldogs so yep. it's good man it's, it's been a long time it's well deserved so i'm happy about as far as sports goes for sure man yeah uh a lot of fun seeing our georgia bulldogs bring home the sec championship that escaped them last year um and we had a lot of other good games last week and championship week we just uh wanted to spend this entire episode kind of touching on those Obviously, we have some bowl games and some college football playoff games coming up here in a few weeks, but we got plenty of time to touch on those. This episode is solely dedicated to last week and the championship games that went down and the results and the ramifications that will come from those. So uh, before we do that, though, I just want to remind you guys, thank you for listening. If you would, please give us a follow on Instagram at Saturday Six Pod. We would appreciate that as well as go ahead and give us a follow and a rating. Um, Go ahead and press that subscribe button wherever you're listening to the podcast. We would really appreciate it. Kind of helps us grow, helps us reach new people. So we appreciate that. And without further ado, we will go ahead and jump into championship games, man. Last week, we had six games that we picked. We picked uh, all five of the Power Five Conference Championship games, as well as the American Athletic Conference Championship game for good reason. And we had some good games, man. A few of them went down to the wire. A few of them were blowouts, but uh, most of them remained pretty close for at least a half. So uh, let's start with that Friday game, man. It was the Pac-12 championship game. We had a rematch of two rivals. You had number 11, Utah, at 9-3. and three. They were facing off against the number four-ranked USC Trojans, who were 11-1. and one. And the Trojans were favored by two and a half. They needed a win in this game to make it into the college football playoffs, and they did not get it for the second time this year. They fall to their foes. The Utah Utes, the final in that one was 47 to 24, man. And uh, I don't know. I, I This game was interesting to me because we both took USC to cover that two and a half. We thought they would win that game and get in the college football playoff. And on the opening possession, it looked like they were going to do that. I mean, they marched right down the field and get a score. And it's uh, kind of back and forth for the first half. Um, at halftime, it's 17 to 17. But then uh, USC only scores 10 points in the last uh, three quarters of the game, actually. So Utah is able to pull away and get that win. What did you see out of the Utes? And uh, what did you see out of USC that uh, obviously had them coming up short in this game? For me, Utah is kind of a a poor man's Georgia team in a way. They pride themselves on being – more physical than their opponents. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing that they did very well. I mean, they were clearly the more physically dominant team on the field that day. They won the trenches. They won the running game. And they dared USC to just outscore them against a really good Utah defense, too, uh, which obviously proved to be a struggle for USC. They don't get it done there. And USC... 
this is kind of what I said, man. Uh, I know that I took USC to win, but I said Lincoln Riley kind of struggles with the big ones. And if it wasn't for him doing it consistently at Oklahoma as well, I wouldn't probably put as much blame on him. But yeah. I'm going to go ahead and do it. I, I think I think he struggles in big-time games. He struggles to prepare his team for those big-time games, and that, that, that cost him. I think he struggles to field a competent defense. <laughs> like, that seems to be the common trend here, right? At, at Oklahoma, oh, he, couldn't, he couldn't stop anybody, and it seems to be the same thing at USC because, man, he's good at getting a high-level quarterback and having weapons and putting up points on the board. But when it comes to stopping people, he's just shown that in these big games when the other team is capable of scoring point, points – that uh, his defense is just not able to come up with those stops. Yeah, I mean, overall, USC takes an L. They are Pac-12 runner-ups. Is is this a bust for the USC uh, Trojans here, or is this still, you know, a pretty solid way to start the Lincoln Riley era? I think down there. Yeah. For me, it's like I think if it's anybody other than Rinkin, Rinkin Liley, I think if it's anybody other, easy for me to say. I think if it's anybody other than Lincoln Riley, you're probably okay with that as a first year head coach. But because he has the track record of winning, and because the Pac-12 is what the Pac-12 is, I think that's got to be a disappointment. I mean, you, that's twice now that they've lost to Utah this year, and. Uh, it's hard to say that Utah isn't the better team in the Pac-12 right now, considering that the Utes have two back-to-back Pac-12 championships. I mean, USC's quarterback. I think Utah is the most complete team yeah. in that league. So sometimes you have a more complete team lose to just a very high-powered offense. But I think Utah is just more well-rounded. I mean, they've got a great veteran quarterback quarterback yeah they've got running backs receivers Mm -hmm. uh they got a really good offensive line and then their defense i mean yeah i don't love their secondary that they have there uh they get exposed a little bit here and there okay but overall i think utah is just the most complete team and that's why they came out of the pac-12 on top yeah I, i mean i'd have to agree i think you know you touched on the quarterback cam rising he had 300-plus yards, three touchdowns in that game. Their running backs, Jackson and Bernard, combined for eight yards per carry. And then, obviously, you know, the tight end, Dalton Kincaid, is a stud. He's a uh, Mackey Award finalist for them at tight end. So, I'd I'd have to agree with you. I mean, Caleb Williams did everything he could to kind of will them to victory. You know, 363 yards, three scores. But um, in the end, it's just (laughs) – when you're having to score more than 47 points, uh, that's going to be a tough task. Just saying. <laughs> but uh, looking forward, Utah has a big game. Both of these teams will actually end up playing a New Year's Six Bowl game. So Utah facing off against Penn State in the Rose Bowl. We'll touch on that one here in a few weeks. And then USC actually gets an interesting matchup with the group of five uh, winner, Tulane. They'll face off in the Cotton Bowl here in a few weeks. So, um, we'll be sure to touch on those games. But, um, yeah, big uh, Pac-12 championship win for the Utah Utes. All right, moving out to the Big 12. We had a showdown of top 10 teams. It was number 10, Kansas State. 
They were coming into it at nine and three, facing off against a hopeful Horn Frog squad. Number three, TCU. They were undefeated. They were favored by two and a half. And we were on opposite sides for this one, unlike that USC game. You were taking TCU and the Horn Frogs to cover that spread. And I was feeling the spoiler play. I thought that the Kansas State Wildcats would be able to bounce back after a loss in the regular season to TCU and come out with a win here in the uh, Big 12 championship game, maybe trying to play spoiler here late in the season. And that's exactly what happens. Kansas State with a 31-28 to win in overtime. The Wildcats walk it off. Uh, man, it was a good game. You watched most of this one, right? Yeah, I pretty much watched the entire thing. Dude, what a back-and-forth game it was. I mean, yep. it was incredible. I will say, in all respect to my, my boy Max Duggan, he played his absolute heart out. He put yeah. everything on the line for this game. But I will say, TCU got really lucky that their offense was able to keep them in it. And their offense, it, it wasn't like they were like methodically driving down the field. It was just big plays, yeah. like big chunk plays at a time that would get them into scoring position and then they could punch it in. But they're lucky that their offense kept them in it because – Kansas State just looked absolutely dominant, dude. And honestly, there is multiple times that game where I was like, all right, this is where Kansas State's going to just absolutely just dominate them and pull away with this. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I'm glad that you touched on that because if you just saw the final score and you saw overtime, you would in your head you would think, okay, this was a really close game the entire time. Both teams kind of going back and forth. And then one team pulled it out there at the end. But like you said, it, it really was kind of – if you watch the entirety of the game, it was it felt like Kansas State really controlled the entirety of it. And then like you said, TCU is kind of just kind of chip away at it and fight back every so often. They were down entering the fourth quarter. They were down 21-17. to 17. Um, And then Kansas State's running back Deuce Vaughn. I mean, I don't think we've said his name enough this season. He had a 44-yard touchdown run there a few minutes uh, into the fourth quarter. Nasty juke, like juke, juke the guy out of his shoes. Did you see that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, just an insane move that he put on that uh, DB. Ran it in for the touchdown to uh, go up 28-17. to 17. And then it became the Max Duggan show down the, down the stretch. Uh, he was uh, basically trying to will this team back to victory. Like you said, uh, just the heart that he showed down the stretch there, I think, that alone was worthy of uh, an invitation to the Heisman Trophy ceremony, which uh, he got. Yeah, dude played his heart out. He had a good game, too. If you look at it on paper, there's probably a few more incompletions than you prefer. Obviously, he's not the on the winning side of the quarterback column. Yeah. But if you actually watch the tape on it, I mean, the dude played out of his mind. It was, I mean, if you want to put him in the Heisman talk there, that was his Heisman moment right there, no doubt. Yeah, I agree. That 44-yard touchdown run that he had with about two minutes to go to tie the game up at 28, I mean, that was just that – was, that was vintage Max Duggan. That's what we've seen all season long. That's what we've come to expect from him, being able to use his legs as well as his arm, 250 yards through the air, another 110 on the ground, Two touchdowns. He did have the one interception that was costly. But in the end, Kansas State with a walk-off field goal in overtime to do it. Um, it was their quarterback, Will Howard. So Adrian Martinez 
wasn't suiting up in this game. It was Howard that, that was kind of running the show for the Wildcats. But a big game from him, 200 yards, two touchdowns. Kendra Miller tried to do his thing. Quentin Johnson had some big, big plays, about 140 yards receiving. But the uh, Horned Frogs come up just short in this one. Kansas State wins its first Big 12 title since 2012. So on last week's episode, I mentioned I wasn't sure when the last time that was. It's been a decade. It's their third ever and their first in the last 10 years. So shout out to the Wildcats. And again, both of these teams still have a lot to play for in this season because TCU, although they lost that game, the committee didn't drop them. They stayed at number three. They're going to face off against Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl in that college football playoff. And then Kansas State gets a showdown versus Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. So the Wildcats will get to uh, kind of finish their season on an extremely high note if they can do that there against Alabama. So let's move on. Let's head to the SEC championship game. This is one that we were both particularly excited about. And it was one that went our way, thank God, because number 14 LSU and number one Georgia were meeting up in Atlanta in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and it was our dogs that were a big 17-and-a-half-point favorite. And, man, we just had a feeling, didn't we? Like, last week on the podcast, we both said, I don't know, man. I got a feeling this one's a blowout. And it was. Georgia puts up 50, a big old fat fitty burger. Final score is 50 to 30. Our dogs cover. And it was just, it was a big win. They they shut down LSU. Um, score was actually probably closer than the uh, than the game was, if you if you watch the entirety of it. Yeah, obviously LSU's quarterback uh, Daniels goes out hurt partway through the game. So you know you can say what you want about that, but honestly, I think they their offense might have played a little bit better with their backup Nussmeyer in. But it just it was it was just the most complete game I've seen Georgia play all season, and it goes to show you know yes Georgia has some games where they're only putting up thirty points and it's not flashy, but Georgia. Georgia can score however many points Georgia wants to score. Uh, and it just, I think it they just goes that. to show. Right. I think it just goes to show that, that Georgia dictates what kind of game they want to play. And, you know, that varies depending on your opponent and the week and your, your personnel groups that are healthy. And whatnot. the weather. And exactly and georgia just goes to prove that they, that that's exactly what they're doing all season they were lighting up the scoreboard going for two points defense gets a touchdown on a blocked field goal yeah talk I about mean, that it man. talk about that that uh, blocked field goal because i was in the stadium for this game and when i tell you this is one of the most bizarre plays that i've ever seen in a game much less in person because you know Blocked field goals, they happen, right? But the way that this one happened was just – it was just madness. I mean, so Nazir Stackhouse blocks the field goal for Georgia. If you didn't watch the game, it kind of rolls to about the five, six-yard line. And then you have Chris Smith, Georgia's safety, kind of standing, like hovering over the ball, looking around for a second. And then all of a sudden he realizes, wait a second – the entire LSU field goal unit has their back turned. Why don't I scoop this baby up and run it to the house for seven points? The game was zero to zero at that point. 
LSU was about to go down and score the first points of the game. What a huge play. What a huge IQ play, like a football IQ play, because I, I, it's a lengthy explanation, but I'll give it to you. Basically, LSU cannot recover and advance that ball. There's no point in them picking it up, right? But if Georgia were to touch it and then fumble it, if they were to muff it, if he were to pick it up and then drop it and an LSU guy recovered it, it's first and 10 LSU at the five-yard line. Or if Chris Smith picks it up and gets tackled at the 10-yard line, well, if he just didn't touch it at all, the offense would have the ball at the 20-yard line. So just a huge IQ play. Um, Kirby Smart said in his post-game press conference that that's something they go over at least once a week. And he said he even turned to Chris Smith in the in the uh, post-game press conference, and he goes, Chris, what's the rule on that? And Chris Smith turns to Coach Kirby Smart and says, don't pick it up unless you can score. And that's exactly what he did, man. That was that was one of the most fun plays I've ever seen. Yeah, it was it was electric. Um, it almost looked like he didn't know whether or not he should pick it up or not. He was kind of yep. standing there with his with his arms, with his palms up, up kind of looking towards the sideline, like, hey, do I have permission to take this? Because everybody's and, saying, uh, Peter, 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 get away from it. Don't touch it, right? And then he and then right. he looks over, and I'm telling you, I had the perfect view of it. I was watching LSU walk to their sideline as Chris Smith picks it up and takes it to the house. Yeah, I I was screaming. I, I didn't know what was going on. I was like, pick up the damn ball. And I yeah. just knew I like like I could hear you over my shoulder. We weren't <laughs> we weren't in the same place, but I could just hear you. You were like, Yeah, pick up the damn ball, run that thing back. I mean, yeah. it was awesome. Uh Georgia played a hell of a game. Yeah. But I mean, first year head coach again, another first year head coach we have, Brian Kelly here there at LSU. I mean, four losses kind of doesn't look great, but when you actually look at what you went and did, uh, your losses don't look terrible. It's to uh, it's the Tennessee, it's the Florida State. Those are ranked teams. Yeah. Um, it's the Georgia, the number one team in the country, and, and you made it to an SEC championship appearance. Yeah. Uh, which is more than I think is more than most first year SEC head coaches can say. Right. So no, I, I agree. And I think, you know, just yeah, the fight that they showed in the second half is one thing that I think he should be proud of because that game is 35 to 10 at halftime. Like the game is basically over at halftime, right? And so you're putting in your second string quarterback to start the second half. I mean, you basically your season's over at that point, right? You the writing's on the wall. But Nussmeyer came in and threw for 300 yards, two touchdowns. He did have the one interception to Chris Smith, but um, I think just the fight that they showed there in the second half to, uh, you know, even though they were down, you know, 20 plus points the entire time as a Georgia fan, <laughs> I told, uh, I told my brother-in-law this, who I watched the game with, I-, I said, that was the most stressful 20 point win I've ever watched. Like the game was never in doubt, but the second half, it just seemed like they were able to apply just enough pressure to make us get out of our seats and uh, make a little bit of noise. But um, overall, a, a solid game. Georgia's stars came out and shined. I thought Setson Bennett had one of the best games of his career. I mean, it just seems like, say what you will about Stetson Bennett, but when the lights are shining brightest, that's when he plays his best games, it seems. He was able to hook up uh, with Brock Bowers and Lad McConkey for a bunch of big plays. The running backs, that committee, man, it's looking better and better as they get healthier and healthier. They combined for almost 300 yards. 
But uh, obviously, it's a big showdown in the Peach Bowl in the college football playoff next for our Georgia Bulldogs. They'll face up against the Ohio State Buckeyes. But, um, yeah, just an awesome performance to see. Any final thoughts from you on, on, on that game? Stetson for Heisman. Stetson for Heisman, yeah. He is, That's uh, it. Mailman for Heisman. He will be in New York City, man. That's awesome to see. So, uh, first Heisman finalist for the Georgia Bulldogs since 1992. It's been 30 years, so congrats to the mailman. With that being said, let's move on. We got three more games that we need to touch on here. We got an AAC American Athletic Conference Championship game that was going down with huge implications because one of these teams, they were going to get a shot to play a huge bowl game, and they got it. Number 22, UCF, was going on the road to number 18, Tulane, and it was that Tulane Green Wave team that was favored by three and a half. I thought Tulane would win. You thought Tulane would cover. I was picking UCF to keep this game closer, but it really just never happened because Tulane jumped out to a 10 to nothing lead in the first quarter. UCF had some chances. They're down 17 to seven. They get, they turned the ball over. They're down 24 to 14 and driving and turned the ball over. They were just never really able to claw their way back like I was expecting them to. Huge win for the Green Wave. They'll face off against USC in the Cotton Bowl. That'll be a good game, hopefully. Uh, but what do you see out of this Tulane team? Because I saw an electric offense and a stifling defense, and that's not something you see out of a group of five team often. But, uh, you know, UCF, like we said, they're the powerhouse of the AAC the last few seasons, and uh, Plumlee and company weren't able to get it done. Yeah, for Tulane, I mean, they just, they have a very good defense. I mean, that is a very talented group that they have there. And then the for me, it's the offensive efficiency with, yeah. you know, how efficient they are with their clock management, with, uh, with scoring. I mean, it's it, incredible to see, especially from a group of five team where you think, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of defense going on there. It's like the Pac-12 or – uh, you know, whatever, you know, you, you don't see a lot of defensive competition, but then, I mean, Tulane has it. And if you didn't think Tulane had a good defense, I can't overstate what a tall task having to, to corral John Rice Plumley is JRP. Um, and they, and they did it and yeah. they, they did it really well that game. And uh, I said that they were going to have to make him one dimensional or if you can't do that, at least limit him as far Take as his legs goes. Take his legs. Take the legs. They did Take that. Legs. They did that. He was a they non. He was a non-threat with his legs. I want to say, um, obviously, sacks count against rushing yards in college football for quarterbacks, but he had minus yards rushing. So they they made him one-dimensional. They they must have been listening to the podcast because that's exactly what that defense did. But just touch on that one, two combo because Michael Pratt, the quarterback, he threw for almost 400 yards and had four touchdowns. And then Tajay Spears ran for nearly 200 yards and added a touchdown on the ground. Those guys, those guys are studs on offense and can put up points as well. Yeah. Well, they have, they're behind an elite offensive line is what, what it is. I mean, I'm going to give credit to the big guys. You don't throw for 400 yards if you don't have time to, and yeah. you don't run for, you know, 200 yards if there's not some big, burly, 
brawlers up front opening up space for you to run. That's right. So, I mean, I, I, I got to give credit to the big guys here. They that's need right. some love, too. Yeah, show them hogs some love. I love it. That's a, that's the first time we I think we've mentioned an offensive line this year. I, I love it. But Tulane, hell of a game. American Athletic Conference Championships, Group of Five representative in the Cotton Bowl against USC here in a few weeks. So um, shout out to them. Lots, lots to be proud of if you're a Green Wave fan. With that being said, let's go ahead and move on to the ACC, the Amer or <laughs> the Atlantic Coast Conference. We're talking about number nine Clemson. They were facing off against a number twenty three North Carolina team that was a seven and a half point underdog. And you were taking Clemson big in this game. I thought they would win it, but I thought UNC had more fight than they did because this one was just an absolute whooping. Final score was 39 to 10. North Carolina didn't even score in the second half. And something we've been thinking about all year long finally happened. DJ Uyunglele gets benched, and the five-star freshman Cade Klubnik comes in and saves the day. 300 yards, two touchdowns. A little bit of a changing of the guard here for the Tigers. Yeah, I mean, we saw it coming. I didn't think it would take an entire season for us to be covering this on the podcast. DJ Oyungle is not a bad quarterback by any means. I, I don't want to say that. I think he's got some more developing that he needs to do. I think Kay Klubnik is overall the more talented quarterback, which is you know, why he ended up uh, playing in that game more than DJ. But... I, want, I just want to touch on, I'm so disappointed in UNC. I mean, you have first-team all-freshman quarterback right. playing for you, and, you know, you've had an offense that has proven that they're able to score points this season, and they do nothing. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not so quick to credit Clemson's defense. I think that their defense is not the defense that we thought it was going to be at the beginning of the season, and it's nothing like, recent years past either uh i think that unc really had an opportunity to score some points here i thought it might be a little bit of a shootout i did not too. a shootout just a little bit higher scoring than what it was yep but yeah you got to give a little bit of credit to clemson too um, when's the last time clemson didn't win the acc right that's what uh why are we surprised that we're talking about this. no i saw no I, you're right i saw on twitter it was a bunch of clemson fans uh that show up on my timeline from time to time and it was uh something i saw for the first time it was acc stands for another clemson championship which is which is pretty much uh 100 spot on so um yeah the the freshman for unc drake may i mean two costly interceptions but Really, he was he was asked to shoulder the entire load because there was no rushing attack whatsoever for North Carolina, and in the end, that Clemson defense is able to do it. I mean, they they we've questioned them at times this season, but holding that uh, vaunted UNC offense to ten points is something that they've got to hold their heads high about. And uh, Clemson's got another big game to prepare for because we have the orangest of all Orange Bowls in the history of Orange Bowls. You got Clemson versus Tennessee going down. It's a New Year's Six bowl game. So both of those teams looking to cap their season off on a high note. But, um, yeah, it was just uh, disappointing from UNC. But finally, Clemson makes the change at quarterback. 
DJ will speak on it here uh, probably in another episode. He enters the transfer portal. It'll be the five-star going forward starting next year, um, starting in the Orange Bowl, actually. Congratulations to Dabo Swinney and the Clemson Tigers. Another Clemson championship. All right, our last game of our Saturday six that we picked last week, it was the Big Ten championship game, and it was one that we expected to be lopsided. We talked a little bit about how maybe Purdue didn't belong in this game against number two Michigan, the Wolverines' big 17-point favorites. And for a half, Purdue gave him a game, man. I got to say, 14-13 to 13 at half, Michigan leading. Purdue's quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, I mean, they love to sling the ball around, and he did exactly that, especially in the first half. But uh, in the end, Michigan pulls away. Final score, 43-22. to 22. They cover that spread exactly like we predicted them to do. What did you see out of J.J. McCarthy, Donovan Edwards, and company um, that should have Wolverine fans feeling good heading into this playoff? He repeated what he did against Ohio State. I mean, he, he's finally proven that he's more than just a game manager that can hand the ball off to the running backs and scramble for a couple yards here and there, Deacon Dunk. I mean, the guy can – I don't want him to have to win me a football game with his arm, but if that's what if that's what Harbaugh is asking of him and that's what the game is requiring of him, he can do it, uh, which is what I – I really like to see there. Um, Obviously it really helps when you can establish the run game with a couple stud workhorses in the backfield. But but, I mean, the, the, the way that he can hit the play action passes uh, when, when they're needed is uh, phenomenal. Honestly, I mean, he's playing the best football of his career right now at the perfect time. Uh, and I like to see that consistency before, you know, they move on to the college football playoffs here. I like to see that they were able to do it once more. And it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just like a one time thing against Ohio State where they were uh, able to really rely on J.J. McCarthy and his arm rather than his legs and the running backs. Yeah, I was I was impressed with McCarthy. I thought, you know, missing Blake Corum. We thought that was going to be huge a few weeks ago, and it turns out that this Donovan Edward kid, he's equally as good, if not better. I mean, 185 yards, a touchdown on the ground. Um, he was able to just be leaned on. Uh, that offensive line is a Joe Moore Award finalist for the best offensive line in the country for the second straight year. I think, you know, they're just going to be tough to beat going forward, especially considering – how stingy that defense can be at times. We saw what they did against Ohio State. And I don't know. They're just going to be tough to be going forward. Head coach Jim Harbaugh has got the Wolverines feeling good right now. They're playing confident. They're buying in. Uh, it's just – it's Purdue. I mean, we, we knew what was going to happen when you put Purdue in the Big Ten championship game against Michigan. This is exactly why we were talking on the podcast last week about why we need to get rid of divisions in college football and just have a conference and put the top two teams in it because this is ridiculous. We should have had another showdown between Michigan and Ohio State. Did you see that since the Big Ten did their realignment, someone from the Big Ten East has won the championship every year since then? Right, exactly. Since the realignment, the Big Ten West has not won a championship 
at all. Right. Something's got, something's got to change. Um, it's coming, but not soon enough. Um, but with that being said, Michigan, they've got a huge showdown against TCU Fiesta bowl, new year's Eve should be a good one. We will be back to recap that. We'll be back to touch on that preview that in a few weeks. Um, we'll be back, uh, before then though, I think we're going to do, um, just a news episode where we'll touch on transfer portal updates, uh, coaching carousel moves. Deion Sanders is the new head coach at Colorado. We'll get into that. Um, some good bowl games other than the New Year's Six bowl games that we might touch on. And then obviously those college football playoff games. So um, any final thoughts from you, man? We had some great action last week. We got lots to look forward to. Anything you want to leave the people with? It only gets better from here as we get closer to the national championship. Turn on the reminders. Uh, if you're watching on Apple uh, Apple Music, Spotify, uh, you can set to get notifications when new episodes drop. Turn on the notifications. That way you can keep up to date with everything going on around college football here. Got a lot of good episodes for you guys coming up. For sure. That's another episode of the Saturday Six Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. For Tyler, my name is AJ. We will catch you guys soon. <laughs>